0: We, we had convinced ourselves that recessions are antiquated it, People don't really talk about that much anymore because we had huge financial crisis Now we got a huge pandemic crisis and we got hundred year floods coming every three years so I yeah. you know maybe we just got to get used to it We tend to try to rebuild uh, after there has been a, a hurricane
1: or an earthquake or a flood we sometimes need to stop and say well gosh, They were in a floodplain, so maybe it isn't a good idea to put them back into the floodplain because people's lives are at risk. Just like, you know, some of these these jobs are just not going to come back. We are one year into this pandemic, and in this long, long year, we've certainly learned a lot about economic behavior.
2: And now we have a brand new Biden administration and a proposal for a $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. In this episode of The Pie, we gaze into the crystal ball. What should the new administration prioritize? And what might the new economy look like once the pandemic is over? Austin Goolsbee is a professor of economics at Chicago Booth and former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisers under President Obama. Randy Kroszner is also a professor of economics at Chicago Booth and formerly served as a governor of the Federal Reserve System. He too was a member of the Council of Economic Advisers but under President George W. Bush. Both have experience with navigating turbulent economic waters and we'll talk both about what we've learned and what we can expect for the sailing ahead. This is the pie. Economists are always talking about the pie. How it grows and shrinks, how it's sliced, who gets the biggest share. In this show, we'll talk about the most pressing matters of today. And in this episode, we're talking about how on earth we're going to climb out of this recession. I'm Tess Viglund. And I'm Eduardo Porter. We've been invited to have this series of conversations with University of Chicago scholars and other experts. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute and WBEZ Chicago. Well, Austin, I'm going to start with you because uh, 12 years ago, you were in the eye of a, a similar yet very different economic storm as a member of Barack Obama's Council of Economic Advisors. Can you give us a sense of what the Biden administration faces now versus what you all faced in 2009 in the heart of the financial crisis, b- besides a global pandemic?
0: Yeah, well, thank you for bringing <laughs> up such a painful memory, Tess. You know, it yeah, was, sorry well, about that. Two, 2008 to 2009 was horrible. There are some ways in which it was totally different than what's happening now. Of course, you know, that was a mostly a financial crisis and c- sort of a regular business cycle but hyped up this is the economy in some ways is doing worse in some ways this is a bigger crisis there are a few similarities one is in both cases it was really all about contagion at that time financial contagion in 2009 and this time physical health contagion and when people have something contagious that's dangerous they withdraw And at that time they were withdrawing the money and now they're withdrawing their physical activity. And the essence of the problem for the new administration is they're coming in, they're saying, I'm gonna do something totally different than what the previous people did, and that part's good, but ultimately restoring the confidence of people to return to where they were before is not under the direct control of the administration. Mm. I mean, we're spending trillions of dollars every few months for rescue and relief and constantly asking the question, well, is this enough? How much is enough? The answer is if you don't get control of the virus, it will never be enough.
2: Randy, you've also got firsthand experience in economic policy during very difficult times. You were on the President's Council of Economic Advisors during and after 9-11. Let's bring you into this conversation. I'm curious to hear your thoughts.
1: I think um, it's completely misplaced to have this discussion of more and more stimulus. My goodness, you know, back in uh, March and April, we spent 15% of GDP, $3 trillion. Another trillion dollars has been spent. But what you need to do is really try to, exactly as Austin said, get control of the virus. The most effective stimulus is good health policy. Mm-hmm. You need to do that first and then you can decide, well, how are we going to, to come back? I agree with Austin that we can come back quickly, but I don't think we're gonna come back to where we were. I think the big difference between the re- restoration of economic growth after the shock of 9-11 and now is I think uh, a few things, one, We're not gonna be able to inoculate everyone. There are a lot of people who are very concerned about that and it's a global thing. It's not something that is just a local thing. So there could be restrictions on, on travel that go on for a very long, long time. There'll be concerns about people not having been vaccinated. The messaging, obviously, has been uh, been very different. It's, you know, stay home, save lives. Well,
2: let's talk about what the Biden administration is doing and, in fact, has already done in its first hours and days. Uh, the president, on day one, extended ev- eviction and foreclosure moratoriums. Uh, same for federal student loans. What else can or should he be doing through executive action while waiting for a potential relief bill from Congress? Austin?
0: Well, I think the first thing he did and is by far the most important is outline a clear national strategy on the vaccine, on the virus, even in an environment in which investors in big corporations are probably nervous and opposed. They're an inherently more Republican leaning group uh, than the than the median voter and you could see that they wouldn't like parts of Biden's program, and yet the stock market has soared first as the probability of Biden's victory was going up and up, and then when he won and when they took the Senate and upon inauguration, the corporate sector has been desperately wanting there to be a national strategy to fight this virus. It will definitely take time and there will definitely be bumps in the road. So I think that this rescue and relief, I want us to stop calling it stimulus because I don't think it's Mm. stimulus, but it is disaster relief. And I think that's really quite important because the small businesses shutting down and adding 10 or 12 million more people to the unemployment rolls would be a horrible speed bump. States that have balanced budget requirements, and so when they face this shock, have to lay off one to two million state and local workers, I think that would be another bad speed bump. And evictions, loan defaults, all of that stuff, in a way, we're just putting it off, but putting off those things, I think it's quite important. We're just trying to prevent permanent damage from from a thing that we desperately hope to be a temporary
1: shock. I think it's important that we respond to a crisis, an immediate crisis like this, with support measures. But now we really need to pivot to to thinking about, well, what's coming next? To provide support for households, but not to try to preserve jobs in sectors that will never come back. It's one of the challenges that you have after disaster. You know, we tend to try to rebuild um, after there has been a a hurricane or an earthquake or a flood and it's very important to provide support for the families, but we sometimes need to stop and say, well, gosh, they were in a floodplain, so maybe it isn't a good idea to put them back into the floodplain because people's lives are at risk just like some of these jobs are just not going to come back. So we have to think about setting up structures for efficient and effective bankruptcy relief. It's important, I think, to provide unemployed households with support and make sure that support is targeted to households that are suffering, rather than sending out general checks to some people who are doing well and some people who are not doing well. But I think it's really important mm. to focus on the household support rather than trying to provide support to to try to preserve
0: a job that will just never come back. We've got to move on. Uh, the 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 only problem with that is this is like saying you don't want to spend the money on the last two days of life. The problem is you don't know which mm. the last two days. How do you know which jobs? And are who's going to choose? Back? So if you take take haircuts going to the dentist, going to the gym, going to and big events like music venues and sports. I think the last 50 years in the United States suggest very strongly that on the back end of this pandemic, there's gonna be massive demand for those items. Those as a share of our budgets have risen over time, but they're absolutely flat on their backs right now. And I, to me, it would be a mistake to just write it off and be like, ah, they should just go bankrupt and shut down because it's like living in a floodplain. I kind of think that analogy is not perfect for most of what's down in the economy. Most of what's down in the economy, once there's not a raging infection. It will be fine.
2: Any tools that the Fed hasn't used yet uh, that it could? What is its importance at this point in the pandemic?
1: It's been super important, especially back in, in March, April, to, to provide the support to make sure that, you know, exactly as Austin had said, this, this pandemic crisis did not turn into a financial crisis. And there was a very big risk of that at that, uh, at that time. Um, Even something like the U.S. Treasury securities market, which is the deepest, most liquid market in the world, wasn't functioning properly. And if people get worried that they can't buy and sell treasuries easily, they think, oh, my goodness, I can't sell anything else. So let me get out first. And so they just started selling everything. And you saw just this pounding down of the markets. I call it a market dysfunction discount that I think um, the Fed and then other central banks were very important in trying to, to prevent. And so I think that's what is crucial. They continue to provide liquidity support, promises of low interest rates, pretty much as far as the eye can see. But I think it really is gonna come down to fiscal policy choices and health policy choices going forward. The central banks provide the foundation, but they can't get people to feel comfortable to go um, consume, go back to work. There's nothing that monetary Mm -hmm. policy can do about that. And if interest rates are really low or even negative, but no one knows Whether, you know, what the the course of the virus,
0: no one's going to invest. It's funny when we think about monetary and fiscal policy, a lot of times Randy and I were like the old scene from The Simpsons where there's an American announcer and a Spanish speaking announcer and they're watching the soccer game that's come to Springfield. And the English speaking announcer is like, he passes the ball and he passes it back Back and he passes it again. Back to the center. Center holds it. And then they cut to the Spanish-speaking announcer, who's like, "He has the ball! Oh, uh, he passes back! Oh, he passes the ball!" So I think Randy and I look and we see exactly the same facts. And to me, that's not monetary policy as a foundation. That's monetary policy on the sidelines. I do think it was important. We could easily have transformed that crisis into a into a financial crisis on top of a health crisis. I think Randy's absolutely right about that. The thing is, what what gift do you give the person that has everything? What does the the central bank, what tool do they use when they've already used all the tools? We cut the interest rate to close to zero. We've used every unconventional monetary policy. We've done all of those things. Fundamentally, this isn't about monetary policy. And they're doing a good job they're doing what they should be doing. They, they're inherently taking a backseat. And I would say the CARES Act, the first round of rescue, also illustrated the pitfalls with trying to ask the Fed to do more. So there was a whole mm. lo- Main Street lending facility in which they outlined literally trillions of dollars that would be run by the Fed to try to support the economy in a way that felt sort of fiscal policy-ish, authorized by Congress, of course, but they just didn't, virtually none of the money went out. um, And there is a problem moving the Fed out of its area of, of competence and excellence, which is conducting monetary policy and dealing with the financial system. If you're asking the Fed to go decide who should get loans and how to save specific industries, I think it's going to be a long winter. Oh yeah, I, I totally. I think we we totally agree. Go,
1: go. <laughs> I think we, we totally agree on that because I think it's the foundation by providing the liquidity. You know, if they hadn't acted to do that, we'd be in a in a in a terrible, terrible state. But you know, everything going forward has got to be uh, monetary and uh, and fiscal. And I think you're exactly right. The Congress kind of trying to direct the Treasury to direct the Fed to do this kind of lending program and that lending program. It's not what the Fed does. It's not what the Fed is expert at. And if they want to do a subsidized lending program let Congress do the subsidized lending program, trying to get the Fed to kind of do that on the cheap, because somehow the Fed can can lever things up, as Austin said, that doesn't work. And it's almost an abdication of the the direct responsibility that Congress has to deal with it.
2: When we come back, we'll talk more about the stimulus plan and how it might differ from last year's CARES Act. Austin, you brought up the CARES Act and, and Randy, you had mentioned earlier that you think that any pending fiscal stimulus or relief rescue should be more targeted. Austin, let me go back to that question and ask you what you think this pending legislation should look like. There's $1.9 trillion being proposed currently by the Biden administration. Do you think what's in there is worthy? Would you like to see something different?
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty worthy. Now, you you know, I I was close. I worked closely with the then Vice President Biden when I was in the administration and I was a big supporter of this um, through the campaign. And he ran on this. What he's proposing is exactly what he said. If you vote for me, I will do one, two, three. And he's now he's the president and he says, I want to do one, two, three. So, um I I like best the things that are most targeted to relief for the reasons that, I, that I'm describing. Separ- I, I, I like most the stuff that's going to fight the disease. On the pure economic side, I like the stuff that's targeted to relief of hard hit groups the most, because I think that's the real challenge. I'm skeptical of some of direct stimulus before we've got control of the disease for the, for the reasons we outlined. That said... I do think that it is absolutely worth having some, maybe you'd call it redundancy in your rescue and relief through multiple programs, because at moments of stress, sometimes the programs just don't work. So if you look at the CARES Act, that Main Street Lending Facility, let's say they had decided, let's just do a Main Street Lending Facility. Well, the Main Street Lending Facility did not get out the door, so you would be left with no rescue and relief. So when people mm. criticize and say, why is there any money that's, that's universal checks, or why should they do anything on the PPP program, or why did they add food stamps on top of it? I think one thing to remember is the more conditions and the more targeted it is, the slower it gets out and the more chance there is that there are bureaucratic snafus and they can't get the money. And so you, you saw that with unemployment relief, for example, in in March, April, and May. So I think the relief part is is both necessary and pretty comprehensive and, and, and a good idea. And then there's the second part, which in my language I would call investments, but they are the infrastructure, the investing in the health system, childcare, paid leave, a series of things in that space plus climate change, which are not properly thought of as relief. Those are probably thought of, as I say, as as investments. And I think they're important too. I just think that's a slightly different category of stuff.
2: Clearly, one of the concerns that is already being brought up, particularly on uh, the Republican side of the aisle, is that there is you know, renewed concern about debt and deficits. Where does that discussion come in as we look at the potential for fiscal stimulus, what the Fed is doing? Is and should this continue to be a concern? Austin?
0: Well, look, this this episode right now is obviously just politics, and they're trying to stop the incoming president from carrying out doing what he said he was going to do in the campaign and they they did that to to president obama i don't think it's gonna work very well this time because you know as as you as you intimate these are literally the same people who passed a two trillion dollar tax cut that was unpaid for um under, under donald trump it right following the part where they said that Barack Obama shouldn't, shouldn't run a deficit. The broader question of, can the US government afford to pay for rescue and relief to a natural disaster like this, I think the answer is obviously yes. And the fact that interest rates did not go up, and this time with the CARES Act, with the Trump tax cut, with the wars in Iraq, with the war in Afghanistan, with the stimulus, with any of those things is a sign that the U.S. debt capacity is well in excess of where we are. That said, I still think that the right way to think of this question is about intergenerational. Intergenerationally, um, and kids born in 2025 are going to pay a lot higher tax rates as a share of their lifetime income than people born in 1955 and that doesn't yeah. that doesn't seem fair but that's the that's the context we should have about it it should definitely not be the context of well I want to prevent Joe Biden from doing the infrastructure investment he wants because he's of the other party. I think that's kind of bonkers.
1: Randy? The debt will have to be repaid, and someone is going to pay that. And I think that is sometimes forgotten in the discussions of like, well, let's just give out more money to people, that'd be great. There's a short run versus, uh, versus a long run. And I think the responsibility to future generations is to make sure that the money that we spend is well spent and well targeted. You have to respond to a crisis, It's very important to do so. You have to provide support to to households, no doubt about that. But in uh, thinking about how you spend that money, you really wanna be very careful because one, we've already spent 20% of GDP. So I think, You know, if we were at the beginning of the crisis and had spent nothing, then obviously, you know, um, I think that's one of the reasons why on both sides of the aisle, you know, even in a very, you know, fraught political environment, Republicans and Democrats, as well as President Trump, were able to get together and spend you know, 50% of GDP in March, April, and another almost 5% of GDP uh, just a few months ago. That's an enormous expenditure. Nothing like that has ever happened anywhere outside of a, a war. And so can come together, can make those expenditures, but particularly going forward, given that this will be a very big burden on future generations, being very mindful of, is this money going to have a payoff that is gonna be helpful in making the transition, in providing more productivity growth going forward? Because that's something that then pays a dividend for future generations. If you can have more investment, that leads to, to higher productivity growth, that leads to higher wages, and there's a very natural offset. So of course, there'll be a higher future burden for the coming generations, but they'll get some benefit from that. And so I think it's really important to think in that context. I agree, we don't want it to to be about politics. I think we want it to be about bang per buck. And that's why in particular, the bang per buck now is on the health side. Get the health stuff under under control. And then we can think about some of these other longer term investment issues.
2: A former colleague of mine used to say, uh, coming out of the 2008 financial crisis, he used to call it a crisis wasted that we didn't change things as much as we could or should have. What could or should this crisis change in terms of the economy? What are some of the ways that, that the pandemic, its effect on the world economy, how could this be a potential catalyst for larger, much broader changes? Austin?
0: Well, I guess I would hope that if you were going to say, what's the silver lining of this? I guess it would be that it made the previous to the pandemic pathologies so much worse so quickly that it led us to finally get off our duffs and do something about it. And that would be in categories like, does the health system safety net of the United States, where much of our health care is tied to our job, makes sense in an environment where 21 million people could lose their job in a month in the middle of a pandemic, and then that means they lose their health insurance? I mean, maybe maybe it would lead us to rethink how the safety net should work. Number two, this idea of the K-shaped recovery, that if you look at the top, they never even really had a recession. And if you look at the middle to the bottom, it's been a, about the worst, labor market that, that we've ever faced on on record, um, that that might lead us to pony up and make some investments to try to close those equity gaps. I think those might be two categories where where we could have some improvement. Yeah, I Ready? think there's,
1: uh, there's enormous amounts of, of opportunity for improvement. I think like the unemployment system. Something that I had worked on when I was in the White House was thinking about personal reemployment accounts. So, what we now do is we kind of dribble out week by week some money to kind of keep people going. I don't think that works very well. Uh, I think, um, you know, as all the economic studies show, that, um, it, you know, if you extend unemployment uh, benefits for a long period of time, People will wait to come back into the job market. So there there are good things about supporting families, but there are bad things about giving disincentives for getting back into the job market. And that's harmful for those, those people who stay out of the job market longer. There's a lot of evidence that there's much deeper scarring of um, the job market and of the individuals the longer they stay out. So an alternative way to do it is say, hey, we know that, um, this is a tough time, and so rather than kind of give it out uh, week by week, we could give uh, more of a lump sum upfront, uh, something that I called a personal reemployment account and you could use that for childcare. you could use that for retraining, you could use that to move, because that's another challenge that we, we have with the way we uh, distribute unemployment. It tends to be very local, and, and often right. what you want right. to do is, is have people move to, um, to other, other areas where there are a lot more opportunities, but they face a lot of challenges in making sure they can continue to get their benefits, they're uncertain whether they'll get their benefits in a new spot. So to think about what's, what would you expect someone to get over the next X number of weeks or X number of months, give them that up, uh, up front and then let them make the choices of whether they should be moving, whether they should be doing childcare, whether they should be doing uh, uh, doing, doing retraining. I think that would be a much more effective way uh, to both provide the support for the families and to provide support for the economy.
2: You know, as we've been talking, I it, it really strikes me that we have had Essentially, every 10 years, we've had a massive economic shock. Randy, you were talking earlier about your experience post 9-11. Austin, obviously, you in the wake of the financial crisis. And now we have the global pandemic. Is, is this just, do we all need to stop being disoriented by these kinds of shocks to the economy? Is this just our lives now?
0: Yeah, whatever happened to the great moderation? They had economists right? that were telling us, we, we had convinced ourselves that recessions are antiquated. We don't really have recessions anymore. The 1991 recession, the 2001 recession, they were very mild recessions. And so they talked about the great moderation. People don't really talk about that much anymore because we had huge financial crisis. Now we've got a huge pandemic crisis. And we got hundred-year floods coming every three years. So I, yeah. you know, maybe we just got to get used to it.
1: Oh, I think that's exactly right. I mean, uh, this is some of what I, what I teach is about risk management and crisis risk management, and it's being prepared for uh, the things that can come, and not trying to forecast exactly. You know, is it going to be a pandemic? Is it going to be a financial crisis? But that you know that something is coming. Break that down into the different pieces of, well, how that is that, that going to affect my family? How is that going to affect customers? How that's that going to affect the financial markets? And then be prepared in those different pieces so when the shock, whatever it is, comes, you're ready for it.
2: The Pie is a production of WBEZ Chicago and the Becker-Friedman Institute for Economics at the University of Chicago. This episode was produced by Dana Bialik. We are produced and mixed by Story Mechanics. Our theme and all original music in this series is by Story Mechanics. Our executive producer is Ellen Horn. I'm Eduardo Porter. And I'm Tess Viglund.